listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the book of Acts, how Christians live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. I'm excited today to preach from God's Word. I hope you're excited to receive from God's Word as we look at the book of Acts, chapter 8. Turn with me in our Father's Word. Acts, chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. We're in a series through the entire book of Acts, verse by verse. And by the time we're done, we will have covered every single verse in the entire book of Acts. And you'll be able to take your walk with God to a deeper, higher place. Or I should say it this way, God will take your walk with him to a deeper, higher place. Acts chapter eight, verse four. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The context here is that Stephen, one of the seven who was chosen by the believers to wait on tables, a man through whom God did powerful, miraculous signs and wonders, he has now given his life for Jesus as the first martyr. He has died, he has been murdered. They stoned him. On the heels of this, This is what we're seeing happen. The persecution now has taken place in the church en masse, and the believers, except the apostles, are scattered all over the place. And what do the believers do? Look what they're doing. They sat, and they soaked, and they wrung their hands, and they wondered, what are we going to do next? It's not what they do at all, is it? Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word, the mission of God, the calling of God, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. That's the great commission found in Matthew 28. And that great commission is great enough to advance even in the face of persecution, and I would dare say, oftentimes because of persecution. And that's what we're seeing take place here. The believers don't take their foot off the gas. They don't let up. It's pedal to the metal. The believers now, not just the apostles, the church now dispersed as they're going into different areas outside of Jerusalem now, they preach the gospel. And it's a great reminder for you and for me that no matter what is happening in the course of our lives, the gospel is something we never compromise on. We never stop living the gospel. We never stop preaching the gospel. No matter how difficult things might get in your life, listen, for most of us here in the United States of America, we do not now have it as difficult as they did then, as we're reading about here in the first century In the church, this is right on the heels of somebody giving their life for Jesus, being faithful to Jesus. And the believers would have had every opportunity because they would have been able to clearly recognize that if they remained faithful to Jesus as Stephen was faithful to Jesus, it just might cost them their lives. We haven't yet gotten to that point in the United States of America where being faithful to Jesus would cost you your life, but it might be coming. And that day already has come in many other places around the world. And so it's a great reminder for us, the Bible is a book of examples, not primarily a book of exceptions. And the primary example for believers in the Bible that needs to carry over in a timeless way 
here in the 21st century is that persecution is not a big enough reason to shut up and sit down about Jesus. The threat of losing your own life is not a big enough threat to get you to back off about giving testimony to the greatest news that the human race has ever heard and will ever hear, that God, through Christ, will forgive all of your sins by simple, humble faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. There is no reason, even the threat of loss of life, to back off on the truth of the gospel and the truth about Jesus. It was true then in the first century. It's true now in the 21st century, and it will be true for believers for all time until the sky is cracked and Jesus returns physically, bodily, and lands on the Mount of Olives. We do not back down. We do not sit down. We do not shut up when it comes to the testimony about Jesus and the gospel. And the first century believers are a great example for us today. Even though the persecution has taken place and even though they are dispersed, what are they doing? Look at what they're doing. It's amazing. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Are you preaching the word at your workplace? Are you preaching the word in your neighborhood? Are you preaching the word in your family? Are you preaching the word through how you're living your lifestyle? Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. You want people to see how you're living. You want people to see the demeanor of your face. You want people to see how you handle persecution and difficulty and hardship. And you want them to be able to look at you and say, I want who you have. Yes, that was said on purpose. It's not what I have, it's who I have. You have Jesus, you have what Jesus brings, what Jesus gives to you. And we're going to see that more clearly in just an instance here. People at your workplace, people in your neighborhood, people in your family need to see Jesus Christ is alive and well in your life. People might never darken the four walls of the church. You are called to be the light that goes into that dark place, your workplace, your neighborhood, in your family. You're called to be that light shining out in darkness. You're called to be that salt to make a distasteful atmosphere, distasteful environment more flavorful for no other reason than Jesus and the gospel. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Be that light shining in the darkness. You're not facing anywhere near, I'm not facing anywhere near the persecution that the believers were facing in the first century. And so we have no excuse to go and to preach Jesus, to teach Jesus, to be unapologetic, to stand up and speak out while the rest of the world wants to tell you, wants to tell me, sit down, shut up. We don't want to hear about this, Jesus. We don't want to hear about this gospel. I don't care. You shouldn't care. At the end of the day, the world still needs to hear about the same Jesus and the same gospel. So let the persecution come. Let the peer pressure, let the fear pressure come. Who cares? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If they could serve the Lord in the first century, when persecution was this real, this hot, this dangerous, then you and I, the United States of America, we can share the gospel. We can be faithful to Jesus in our environment. Amen? Amen? Yes, we can. 
Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city. Who is Philip? He's one of the seven who was chosen to wait on tables. There's debate as to whether or not he was one of the apostles. I don't think he was one of the apostles. When we get to Acts chapter 21, look with me in Acts chapter 21, verse eight. It says this, on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven and stayed with them. Okay, stayed with him. We can debate about whether or not he was an apostle or whether he was not an apostle. I don't want to strain at gnats and swallow camels. The idea here is that Philip was a man who had the hand of God upon him and miraculous signs and wonders were being done through him. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. There was much joy in the city. Take that, put it in your back pocket. We're gonna take it out in just a minute and we're gonna revisit verse eight. But there was a man named Simon, a fly in the ointment, okay? But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city. Not the kind of magic that you can get in a magic shop. We're not talking about card games here. We're talking about this man had power that was not from God to do things that deceived the people and gave for himself quite a following. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria. That's the same word that's used in Acts chapter two, verse eight and verse 12 on the day of Pentecost when the people were speaking in a supernaturally enabled human language. The people were amazed on the day of Pentecost. Same word that's used here. He amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Uh Uh-oh. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. This guy is all that and a bag of Gibbles potato chips. Don't you think that Martins and Oats get too much attention these days? Gibbles did not pay me for that free bit of publicity. This guy and the people think he is all that. This man is the power of God that is called great. In other words, I'm a God. And they paid attention to him because for a long time, he had amazed, there's that word again, he had amazed them with his magic. But there's the fly in Simon's ointment. When they believed Philip as he had preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So God, always has the last laugh, amazes the one who was amazing the people with his deception. God outdoes these counterfeit acts of magic that were perplexing and amazing the Samaritan people, okay? Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, leaders in the church in Jerusalem. They've stayed there. The apostles, remember, stayed in Jerusalem when the rest of the church was scattered. So 
The church hears about this, and they say, hmm, let's go down and see what's happening in Samaria. So they sent Peter and John, verse 15, who came down. You never go up once you're in Jerusalem. You never go up anywhere else. You always go down. And wherever else you are, if you're going to go to Jerusalem, you always say, let's go up to Jerusalem. It's a, it's a term of endearment and honoring the city that God established, all right? Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John, they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this manner for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity or sin. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, probably Peter and John, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Jesus and the gospel are powerful. Jesus and the gospel are powerful and God through Christ is happy to use regular, common, ordinary people to move powerfully through. Did you know that? God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Jesus is powerful. The gospel is powerful. And God uses regular, ordinary people to do powerful things to bring people and call people and woo people and pursue people to himself. It's the first thing I want you to understand from this passage. Secondly, Jesus and the gospel bring joy. Even in the face of persecution, Jesus and the gospel bring joy. And third... Jesus and the gospel bring unity. Jesus and the gospel bring unity. We want to make sure that you remember these things as you look at this amazing passage of Scripture. Jesus and the gospel are powerful. They transform lives. And God is happy through Christ to use you, to use me as ordinary and as common as we are, to do powerful, mighty things. I don't know if you'd realize this, but Philip, the case is especially driven home if he is not an apostle. See, I think if he was an apostle, then in Acts 21, verse 8, I don't think it would be recognizing him just as somebody who was an evangelist just as somebody who waited on tables. I think it would also be saying, Philip, one of the apostles who was also an evangelist and one of the seven chosen to wait on tables, but it doesn't say that. So I think there's every indication 
that this Philip who waited on tables is a table waiter. He served people food and drink. By the way, if you don't realize this, you should be tipping 15, 18% when you go to a restaurant nowadays. And all of you who serve in a restaurant capacity, you can thank me and give me 10 to 15% afterward (laughs) for a little free bit of advertisement, okay? Not really. I wouldn't take it if you offered it to me. But often table waiters, people who serve us food, people who serve us drink, the more things change, the more they say the same, they're not people that we highly esteem. They're not people whose career choices typically the rest of the world looks at and says, I would love to grow up and be somebody who waits on tables. And yet it's one of the most honorable things that an individual can do. People who wait on tables, who serve food and drink, are more like Christ oftentimes than some of the highest paid executives in corporate organizations and even pastors of churches. Because you know what you do if you wait on tables, if you serve food and drink, you're putting yourself last and you're putting other people first and you actually are in a tremendously significant position to understand the ministry of Jesus who even though he was God in the flesh, considered your need, my need, made himself nothing to serve you and to serve me through the ultimate act of going to the cross and giving his very life. So oftentimes we look down at people who have jobs in the service industry and we think, ain't no way I want to serve other people. And yet this is one of the very individuals whom God moved through powerfully. Philip, a guy who waited on tables. He didn't just wait on tables. Miraculous signs and wonders are being done through him. Now, up until the time of Stephen, it was only the apostles through whom God was working and doing the miraculous signs and wonders. Then we have Stephen, miraculous signs and wonders. Now, Philip, miraculous signs and wonders. And we show that The Bible makes it clear that God can use and will use whoever he wants to use to accomplish his purpose. And if God can use somebody who was in the service industry, who was volunteering to serve other people food and drink, what's your excuse? You don't have one. Get out there and serve people. Get out there and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just before we get off on a rabbit trail and you start thinking that I'm talking about casting out demons and causing arms to grow back and legs to grow longer and all that other stuff, I'm not talking about that kind of miraculous sign and wonder. One of the most significant miraculous signs and wonders that God is in the business of accomplishing in the life of anybody and everybody is taking an individual just like me an individual just like you, and causing them to be selfless when we would otherwise be selfish. Can we be honest for a moment? Each and every one of us cares about me, myself, and I, and we're not too much unlike Simon the magician, Simon the sorcerer. We think we're all that and a bag of Bickles potato chips. No, Bickles didn't pay me for that advertisement either. We tend to think everything's about me, myself, and I. We see the world through a me, myself, and I lens. We're listening to the same radio station 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's playing in English and French and German and Italian and Russian and Chinese. 
every language of the world, pidgin English and all the different places of the world where different kinds of pidgin English are spoken. We all listen to the same radio station 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The call letters are W-I-F-M and they stand for what's in it for me. Anything and everything we do is tainted by, well, is it gonna benefit me if I do it? How's it gonna benefit me? Is there a little something in it for me? Can I get the Holy Spirit? I'll give you some money if you give me the Holy Spirit because then I can do what you did. Obviously, you outdid me with your real move of power where mine was just counterfeit. So many of us are influenced. In fact, every single one of us is influenced by WIFM, what's in it for me. And one of the most miraculous signs and wonders that the Holy Spirit is still in the business of doing is taking all of us, each of us, every single one of us, and getting us to move beyond the WIFM and move to WIFJ, what's in it for Jesus? What can I do for Jesus? If God could use this guy who waited on tables with miraculous signs and wonders to such an extent that the church was birthed in Samaria, then God can use you. There is nothing in your past. There is nothing that is so insignificant about your life. You are not a person who is so marginalized that God can't use you. In fact, God again and again and again and again uses people who the world thinks are marginalized and insignificant. You might think that you're too old to be used by God, that your best years are behind you. Really? Are you unfamiliar with the story of Abram who became Abraham and was well beyond what the rest of the world, including himself, would think to be of any use? Really? Are you unfamiliar with Zechariah and Elizabeth, the mother and the father of the child who would grow up to be John the Baptist, the fulfillment of the last few verses in the book of the Italian prophet, as I like to say it, Malachi, Malachi, the one who would be sent by the Lord before the coming of the Messiah. There is example after example in the scriptures of old people being used by God. You think you're too young to be used by God? Samuel, the young boy, when the priest Eli should have been familiar with the voice of God. Samuel being on his bed resting and he heard the voice of Almighty God calling him as a young man, calling him as a young man. You might think I'm too young to be used by God. I haven't yet established myself to be used by God. God is not waiting for you to establish yourself. Would you please understand that God wants to establish you so that you can spread the good news about Jesus, the power of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus wherever you go. You're not too old to be disqualified. You're not too young to be disqualified. You might think, well, I don't have enough money. When I get more money, then it can be used by God. Are you not familiar with the widow who gave two mites? Just a, a little bit of change that Jesus ended up saying, this woman, I tell you, gave more than everybody else. We all have excuses, humanly speaking, but not one of them stands on a solitary leg in the presence of Almighty God. Get busy. Persecution isn't big enough to stop preaching and teaching and living for Jesus. Your age isn't old enough to stop living and preaching and teaching for Jesus. 
Your financial status isn't big enough to stop preaching and teaching and living for Jesus. Your past isn't big enough to keep you from teaching and preaching about Jesus. Have you forgotten already what we talked about last week, that God took Saul, the man who was breathing out murderous threats against the believers, and transformed him to become the mighty apostle Paul? Your sin isn't big enough. Persecution isn't big enough. Your financial status isn't big enough. Your age is not an issue. Your health is not an issue. Are you unfamiliar with the guy who was crippled? Jesus restored his ability to walk and he gave glory to Almighty God. There is nothing that's happened in your life, nothing in your past. There is nothing that is happening in your life, in your present. There is nothing that will ever happen in your life, in the future, that is big enough, that is a big enough reason to get you to sit down, shut up, and stop talking about Jesus, stop sharing about Jesus, stop living for Jesus. So today can be the day, it should be the day, where you say to Almighty God, thank you for speaking to me about that area in my life that I have used as an excuse to be all in for Jesus and all in for the gospel. I believe that by the power of God, he's already begun to speak to you about an area or areas in your life where you might be tempted to sit down and shut up, ease up, back off on this Jesus of the Bible and the gospel that's in the Bible. Well, you don't have biblical basis to do that. I think it's significant, and you should too, that the miraculous signs and wonders are being noted by Stephen, one of the table waiters, and Philip one of the table waiters to give hope to you and to me, mere mortals, common, regular, ordinary people. And by the way, even the apostles, unschooled, ordinary men, you just can't get away from it. How dare you think that I'm the one that God uses because I'm a pastor and because I preach the word? How dare I, or anybody who preaches the word, think that that is the most significant and the only significant thing that an individual can do to point people to Jesus? The Bible makes it abundantly clear that the most significant, important thing that you can do to point people to Jesus is to surrender to him fully and trust God with the consequences. God, through the leading and the enablement of the Holy Spirit, will lead you to say the right words at the right time, to do the right thing at the right time. So that at the end of the day, people will look at how you're living, how you're responding, how you're acting, how you're speaking, how you're reacting, and they will give glory to God because of you. Jesus is powerful. The gospel is powerful. Jesus is bigger than persecution. He's bigger than any difficulties you're going through. The gospel is more important. The gospel is more important. It is more important to share the gospel and be faithful to Jesus than all of the important things in the history of your entire life combined. 
Jesus and the gospel deserve your undivided devotion every single day of your life. It's amazing what happens here. Look back with me at the beginning of this section. Acts chapter eight, verses four through eight. And you're going to see some things that you didn't see the first time. And this is a great reminder for us that the Bible is always worthy of a second look and a third look and a fourth look and a fifth look. The Bible is is the kind of a book that people could not write if they would and wouldn't write if they could. There are things here that we missed the first time and the second time and the third time. This is what it means to meditate on the scriptures, to saturate yourself, to let yourself look and gaze upon the scriptures again and again because otherwise you'd miss this kind of stuff. Verse four, chapter eight of the book of Acts. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. We've talked about that. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. We're gonna talk about the significance of Samaria in just a moment. Proclaimed to them the Christ. Now the word that's used here, the Greek tense here that's used for and proclaimed is really, really would be translated and started proclaiming. So this seems to be the beginning of the evangelistic ministry that we read about in Acts 21, verse eight. He became Philip the evangelist and we're looking at the birthday of his evangelistic ministry probably right here. Philip began proclaiming the Christ in that area. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the things that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Do you understand the dichotomy that's being presented here? The church has just gone through persecution. They've been scattered. The apostles are staying in Jerusalem. The rest of the church is scattered. Persecution. Stephen has just been murdered. He's been stoned. Saul is dragging men and women. He's going from house to house, dragging them out of their houses to throw them in prison and to persecute them. And then the gospel goes to the Samaritans. And the Samaritans believe. They accept the message of Jesus And in the face of the persecution, in the face of the the Christians sharing the gospel, there's much joy in that place. Jesus and the gospel bring joy. You will never be as happy as you could possibly be, as full of joy as you could possibly be until you accept Jesus as your Savior, your God, your Master, and your Lord. Only Jesus can give the kind of joy that the believers are experiencing here that can turn a whole town upside down. I should say upside right. It's counterintuitive. Persecution and joy simultaneously existing. Stephen, while they are stoning him, go back and read Acts chapter 7. While they're stoning him, he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father and he has the audacity to say, Father, he says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. 
When you give your life to Christ, you do supernatural things. You want to talk about a sign and wonder? That's a sign and a wonder that you really are born again. That in the midst of what you otherwise would have a reason to complain about, a reason to be depressed about, a reason to be angry about, a reason to be bitter about, all of that gets washed by the blood of Jesus. There is great joy found in the person and the works of Jesus. There's great joy in Jesus. There's great joy in the gospel. And if they had it here in the first century, in the midst of persecution, why is it today in the 21st century we have smartphones? Everybody in the family's got a smartphone because the family plan makes it so easy to do, right? We have tablets, we have computers, we have television sets, we have cars, we have roofs over our heads. We have large churches to go to where we can be comfortable because it's climate controlled. We can listen to music or solid teaching, whether it's through an app or whether it's on the radio, whether it's through satellite or conventional radio. We have paved roads. We have restaurants. Many of us are going to make choices today about where you're going to go for lunch. Not that you're going to have lunch, because that's assumed, that's a given. You're going to have lunch today, most likely. The thing that you will most likely debate, because we live in the United States of America, is where can you go to have that lunch that you already decided you'd have? And yet in the midst of all these benefits, in the midst of all these choices, in the midst of all these luxuries, in the midst of all these provisions, in the midst of all these blessings that have been given to us by God Almighty, something seems to be so lacking today in our nation, and that is joy. Even within the body of Christ, we see joy lacking. And you know why we see joy lacking? Because we have in many instances, a case of spiritual amnesia. Amnesia, naturally speaking, get a knock on the head, causes you to forget things, whether it's short-term memory, long-term memory. Spiritual amnesia is caused by the traumas of life and the distractions of life. The busyness, the cares of this world will cause you, if you're not careful, to forget who you are in Christ. They will cause you to forget who Christ is in the first place, what the gospel is all about. And before you know it, you don't have the joy that is so prevalent and powerfully moving here that we see in the first century here in Samaria, among the believers. Then in the midst of tremendous persecution, there is tremendous supernatural joy. Jesus is powerful. The gospel is powerful. God is happy to demonstrate his power and to share the gospel through you and through me. Anybody who's willing to open up their mouth, anybody who's willing to stand up, speak out. Jesus brings joy. The gospel brings joy. Stop apologizing for sharing the greatest news that people will ever hear. It's found in the gospel. It's found in the person and the finished works of Jesus on the cross. So why are we apologizing for the very thing, the very person who's going to give people the very thing that they need the most in this day where there's so much anxiety and so much stress? People need joy. They need the supernatural joy of Almighty God. And you know what? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you know who 
brings the joy. You know where joy comes from. It's found in the person and the works of Jesus. So don't apologize to people. You say, thank you, Pastor Mike. Thank you for reminding me. I have been apologizing for the greatest news that the world could ever hear, the greatest news that my coworkers need to hear, that people in my neighborhood need to hear, that people in my family need to hear. Why should I apologize for Jesus and the joy that he brings? Jesus and the gospel and the joy that they bring. And Jesus and the persecution. Jesus and the gospel and the persecution that come with following him and following the gospel. You will be persecuted if you follow Jesus, if you accept the gospel. You need to count the cost. Because the truth of the matter is that you're going to have difficulties in life whether you're following Jesus or you're not following Jesus. Whether you believe the gospel or you don't believe the gospel. The question is, which set of problems would you rather have? The kind of problems that come without the supernatural enablement, without the supernatural joy that is provided by Jesus and the gospel, or the kind of difficulty and hardship that God will get you through any and every time courtesy of Jesus and the gospel. That's really what it comes down to. You're going to have difficulties and hardship in life no matter what. As for me and my house, I'll take the kind of difficulties that come with following Jesus any day of the week because I know that Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, and the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Christ, gives me supernatural joy to rise above persecution, to rise above financial difficulties, to rise above relational issues, to rise above my past, to rise above my present. There is nothing that can separate me from the power of God. And if you know Jesus as your savior, you know that that's true too, or you've forgotten that it's true. Jesus is powerful. The gospel is powerful. Paul the apostle later on says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. It is the power. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of almighty God for the salvation of every single person, regardless of what your past is, regardless of what you've just gone through, for the Jew first. That's why the gospel began in Jerusalem and the non-Jew also. Jesus is powerful. The gospel is powerful. Jesus brings joy. The gospel brings joy. If you've forgotten that, today's a great day to ask God for forgiveness and say, Lord, forgive me for trying to find my joy in somebody and something else. Lord, forgive me for holding back at my place of work or in my family or in my neighborhood the very words that people need to hear about Jesus and the gospel because Jesus and the gospel bring joy. And I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus and the gospel bring unity. It is absolutely amazing that this takes place in Samaria. Absolutely amazing. 2 Kings chapter 17, turn with me. 2 Kings chapter 17, I wanna give you a little bit of a background about the Samaritan problem. The more things changed, the more they stayed the same. This is the history of Samaria and the Samaritans. You remember in the Gospels when Jesus sits down at Jacob's well and talks to the Samaritan woman. 
breaking all of the trends there of what a devout Jew would do. You know, it was believed among the Jews that to eat with a Samaritan was like eating pork. You might as well defile yourself by eating pork if you're going to even eat with a Samaritan because they were considered half-breeds. They had intermarried. They were considered sellouts because they would simply adopt a syncretistic lifestyle. They would just add God, the living and true God, to the other gods that they were following and serving. And this is what we see in 2 Kings 17, verses 33 and 34. So they, the Samaritans, feared the Lord, but also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. To this day, they do according to the former manner, meaning they serve the God of Israel and they serve the other gods. It's called syncretism. Just adding the God of the Bible to all the other gods you're already serving. They do not fear the Lord and they do not follow the statutes or the rules or the law or the commandment that the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. This is where Philip goes to the Samaritans, these people who were not purely following the God of Israel. It's significant, it's important for us to understand what's happening here because in the same way that we see earlier in Acts when they had to choose the seven to wait on tables, there was the potential for two churches the church that was predominantly made up of Jewish believers and the church of the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews. But no, that was not permissible because there's one body under and because of Jesus Christ. In the same way, there was the potential now for there to be a Samaritan church. And this is why the giving of the Holy Spirit was held off until they said who? Context means everything. Peter and John from Jerusalem, the apostles, to come and lay their hands on them, and then they received the Holy Spirit. What was the object lesson that was being taught? The object lesson that was being taught is that they are cut from the same cloth. They are saved by the same blood of Jesus. There's not now going to be a Samaritan church and a church in Jerusalem. It's the same church created by the same blood of the same Jesus because Jesus and the gospel bring unity. Jesus and the gospel bring unity. Look with me at the book of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter four, verses four through seven. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace, undeserved favor, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is 30 years after the events that we're reading about now in the book of Acts. The book of Ephesians written about 30 years after, about 60 A.D. And here, in Acts chapter eight, we're seeing that theology fleshed out, literally speaking, by the Holy Spirit being given to the Samaritans and the church in Jerusalem through Peter and John, through the laying on of the hands. That's why the Holy Spirit was delayed in being given to the Samaritans, the Samaritan believers, so that the testimony, so that the witness, so that the theology would be obvious to everybody. There are not going to be multiple 
franchises, multiple different kinds of churches based on ethnicity, based on geographic location. There is one church wherever you go in the world and it's comprised of people who have given their life to Jesus Christ as their savior, their God, their master, and their Lord. It's comprised of people who understand that Jesus is powerful, the gospel is powerful, that Jesus brings joy, the gospel brings joy, that with following Jesus comes persecution, but there is no difficulty or hardship or life circumstance that you've gone through or going through now or will ever go through that is big enough, scary enough, strong enough and powerful enough to keep you from being used by that same Jesus and the power of the gospel. Get out there and share the good news that we have in Jesus, the good news of forgiveness of sins and salvation found through Jesus Christ. And when you humble yourself before the Lord, when we humble ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for using somebody just like me, you too will be used with miraculous, amazing power to lead people to the very same Jesus that the Samaritans on that day discovered. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.